to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this week's episode, we'd like to thank our amazing sponsors, Pro Writing Aid, who are the official editing software of the Bestseller Experiment. Now, for all those folks out there that you might have tried some certain other alternatives uh, that begin with G, for example, is one I tried. Um... But you know what? I, I found Pro Writing Aid is it's it's just a completely different level. It's not just a grammar check; it's a style editor, and it's also a writing mentor. It actually helps you write better. And you know what? Weirdly enough, just this weekend, we've been using it in um, applications for university for my daughter, and it was brilliant. <laughs> you could use it for everything. It's not just not just for writing books, but. As writers of novels and nonfiction, we would like to push you to try it out because it's amazing. It integrates with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, Outlook, the full works. But it's designed specifically for smarter writers, which is all of you folks. So if you would like to get a whopping 20% off right now, get over to prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. I'm using it. I'm still using it. And I it, love it. you start to change the way you think. And when you start writing something, you're thinking, oh, I won't, I won't do that. Because yeah. pro writing has really brought me up. That. I'm going to change the way. So it's great. Something that I learned the other day chatting with the amazing folks at Pro Writing Aid is they actually hire a massive group of copywriting editors and grammar editors. So it's, it's not, it's not this kind of like, and it's a sort of just a kind of computer program as such. No. It's actually kind of human intelligence. You sense that behind you, you the sense scenes. that humanity you know it, behind right? it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. So absolutely. give it a go. All good stuff. Now, talking of exciting and fantastic stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh! Something. I, I was sitting, put my little daughter to bed last night, and I saw a post on our BXP team group, which is our private Facebook group. Um, and thank you to everyone who's patrons and all the people who've signed up this week to Patreon. We've got we've got another number of people who've signed up. And BXP team group, we have a couple of amazing people in that group uh, who got shortlisted out of 9,000 entries. I found this out. Five, five shortlists and two of those authors were shortlisted to win Amazon's Storyteller of the Year which was a £20,000 prize in old money. That's what, about $30,000, $35,000, plus the opportunity to get their book pitched to Amazon Prime. So basically the equivalent of like a Netflix series. Now, Mr. Stay, somehow, I don't know how this happened. I can tell you. So I'm sitting there putting my daughter to bed (laughs) and somehow Mr. Stay has blagged his way into the awards ceremony. How did you do that, Mark? I got a a message on Sunday night from Cueve McDonald who's one of the shortlisted authors. And Cueve has been on the show before. He's hilarious. He's lovely. He's such a nice guy. Now, if you follow Cueve on Facebook and Twitter, you'll know that he's recently adopted a dog. This is you know, a rescue, rescue dog. It's a lovely, snaffy, beautiful dog, but it's a dog that needs a lot of love. And so he'd been invited to the awards ceremony for the Kindle Storyteller Awards, but he's, his wife 
gamely volunteered to dog sit that evening. So I got a message from Queeve <laughs> saying, do you want to come to the Kindle Awards? Be my plus one. Oh, <laughs> I was like, absolutely. you betcha. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, last night, Queeve and I, plus one, he introduced me as, as his husband last night when we checked in at the awards ceremony. <laughs> and, uh, I bet that got everyone talking. <laughs> and so I got to go to the ceremony. And this is, Queeve was there. I got to meet Ian Sainsbury, the wonderful Ian Sainsbury, who again, a patron of the, and, and, and one of those authors, I'm thinking, we need to get Ian on the show soon. We need to get, I wonder what the hook could be. We need to get Ian on the show. So anyway, well, look, if you listen to this, you probably, the news has been out anyway. The winner of the Kindle Storyteller 2019 was our friend Ian Sainsbury with his book, The Picture on the Fridge. And, Oh my God. What an amazing. I was so, so happy for him. His wife was there. She was in tears. He didn't. I, I, well, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was there. I was fortunate enough to interview everyone there. Uh, so let, let's go through the, the, it's, um, the bookshop of hopes and dreams by Hannah Ellis. I have sinned by Queeve McDonald. Army of wolves by Claire Moore. Tragedy at Piddleton Hotel by Emily Organ and The Picture on the Fridge by Ian Sainsbury. I spoke to all the authors. I spoke to the folks at Amazon about this. Uh, I've got, we're going to have a really, really special episode next week. And Ian, once he's come down from his mega high of winning, you and I, we're going to have a chat with him and we're going to have a full, uh, proper conversation. That's going to be next week's episode. And it was just such, such an, I was just so, because I've been to award ceremonies before, you know, and the only time we've ever won, Orion won Publisher of the Year 2003. And I think I've been with the company about, you know, six weeks or something. So I didn't feel part of that, you yeah. know, I didn't feel, um, every other award ceremony I've ever been to. Never won, never even come close, you know? Yeah, well, we, so, we, we almost won podcast of the year, didn't yes, we? Yes, yeah, yeah, we were shortlisted for that. That was right, that's and true, you were there, that's true, yeah, yeah. But I, again, <laughs> you get a vibe on the day, you're kind of thinking, you look at the other people, you think, yeah, they're great, I haven't won this, I haven't won this. So you tell yourself, yeah, no, I haven't won this, that's fine. And then you kind of relax, but there's still that thing at the back of your going, going, you might win it, you might win it, you might win it. I'm not ever. But both Queeve and Ian were hilarious because they were like, yeah, we haven't won this. And they just, you know, they, and they kind of relaxed. Um, but I was just so happy for Ian. He didn't know what hit him. He really didn't really? know. He didn't have a speech ready. He was completely flummoxed. He was he was genuinely convinced. So it's it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, so yeah, we're getting Ian on the show. We're going to get him on the show. That is so exciting. <laughs> I love the fact that you were right there in the mix recording oh, everyone beforehand. I was seeing the photos of everyone sitting around drinking and toasting and they had piles of their books there. Um, one of the... I, I mean... Uh, both both Queeve and Ian have been long-term supporters of the podcast, and we thank them both for that. Um, they've been part of the BXP team. And what I love now is that you should have seen the BXP team last night. Mm. It went bonkers. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh! <laughs> screaming and yelling mark i've got to say as as as, as the grammar police i have never seen mark post post uh, something on the bxp team with so many exclamation marks i oh, think man. i counted about 20 just, in in a couple of in one line it was brilliant it was just in one in one in one yeah no it was exciting do you, know, do you know what i love do you know what i love though that, that there's many things that we're going to talk about on the show next week but i'm just going to give give people a little teaser uh the lady presenting the awards for everyone in the uk you'll know who she is for everyone outside the uk you may not know but she is her name is Mariella Frostrup. Now, anyone who hears that name as a uh, 
I've got to say, I had a crush on her oh, when I was. She's got. Younger. She's got one of those. She's beautiful voices. Gorgeous. Yeah, uh, and, and she does. She has this really kind of. And anyway, there's a photo you put up, I think, which is absolute genius, of Queeve. They all got to get their photo <laughs> with Mariella. I mean, that that in itself is, you know, I think that would that would make someone's day, right? I mean, yeah. you know, twenty thousand pounds is nice, but photo with Mariella. But he's got a he's got his arm around Mariella. And he's holding his book called I Have Sinned. And there's this big, big grin on his face. And I'm like, this is, this picture could launch a thousand caption competitions. Absolutely loved it. That was just brilliant. So uh, what an incredible evening. And so tune in next week, folks, because we're doing a, a whole recap. We'll have all of the live, live things that Mark has captured on the night and taking you behind the scenes. I mean, when do you get to hear like what happens in the inner sanctum of an award ceremony? I love it. Mm. Brilliant stuff. What I love about this and is congratulations, well. Ian. Yeah, and, big and, congrats, Ian. And I said to I, I said to Queeve as well, I said, I'm not gonna send you condolences. Everyone always sends people condolences when they lose. I said, You haven't lost. You got shortlisted top five out of nine thousand books. I said, This is just time to rock on. Um, and and just you know fly from from the new platform that you've got because it's all part of the growth of every author and and Queeve's been amazing how he's taken it um, I think he's he's been a very very uh, very very generous um, kind of partner in crime to Ian all yeah, the way no. even though they did say on the BXP team they were going to knock each other off at one point before, when they both found out they were they both found out they were nominated uh, also if you look this up on Google. The top hit is at Amazon, which you would expect. The second hit is the Beckles and Bungay Journal, which I think is a Suffolk newspaper, which is where Ian's from. <laughs> well done, Beckles and Bungay <laughs> Journal. You news. have beaten all the major news newspapers to that one. So nice yeah, it work. Went out, I saw that it went out pretty quickly on um, the bookseller and some of the major yeah. major publications, but local papers rock. They do. They really do. Don't <laughs> underestimate the power of your local paper. That's what I say. <laughs> He says, having just run a petition on ours for a new track, and we got one and a half thousand people signed up for a new athletics track in a place that's 10,000 people. I mean, that's bonkers. Mm. So get tell your local paper that you've written a book and you put it out there. How many people do that? Hardly any. Anyway, there we go. So let's, let's, um, let's jump on. We've got so much to get through. This week, this week, we've got a lot of social media that we're going to be getting through after we've done the interview with our special guest. Well, our special guest, someone we're welcoming back to the show. We don't do this very often, but this is RJ Barker, who was on episode 148, which is we, we called RJ Barker and explosions of joy because he, he, he loves writing. He's a lovely, lovely guy as well. Um, he's, he's author of a brand new series, which starts with a book called the bone ships. And this was a great opportunity because we, we often speak to debut authors. We might talk to series authors, but I really wanted to know what it was like to, to launch a new trilogy. Um, more importantly, following on from our amazing, um, mental health live show last week and fantastic response. Thanks to everyone who's got in touch with us about the episode. It definitely, definitely, uh, touched a lot of people. We talked to RJ about that sort of self doubt and panic. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're, we talk about writing yourself into a corner, comparing your first draft to someone else's completed book. There's so much in this. Um, and also a lovely piece of furniture as well, um, which we'll talk about later. So. Brilliant stuff. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with none other than RJ Barker. 
RJ Barker. Welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I, I'm very well. And the listeners can't hear that you just said I'm triumphantly returning, which is brilliant. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on an elephant. I've got a whole, <laughs> whole massive thing behind me of Roman soldiers, a few prisoners at the front. It, it's fantastic. I mean, it's been a battle. And uh, some of the colder places were bad, but yeah. <laughs> now you're telling me you're. T- just before we started recording, you were telling me that you're you're sitting at your your new writing desk. Uh, that well, you you were saying you probably do more podcasts than writing on it now. Yeah. But tell us about this. I'm looking at it on Twitter, and folks, I'll put a a link in the show notes so that you can see this because it is a thing of absolute beauty. Tell us about it. Well, we we just got sent a link to it, and this man was selling this this writing desk that looks old, but I don't think it is, and it has on the front of it a a, a sea scene with big sort of 17th and 18th century sailing ships. Yeah, yeah, and, and we've yeah. had a writing desk that, that is quite old but not very good for ages, and it seemed like like fate, especially when it turned out to be only eighty pounds, which is madness. So, so we bought it straight away, uh, and now I'm sat there at my my ship themed writing desk, talking about writing ship themed books on your now ship themed podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, welcome to the, the shipping news, listeners. Um, this is the thing. We don't often have authors back, but I wanted to have, have you back, RJ, because one, first of all, we had such a wonderful reaction to your, your first ever chat with us, uh, which is back in episode 148, listeners, which we called RJ Barker and Explosions of Joy. Yeah, it was very uh, serious. Which, in, in which... It really yeah. was in which RJ told us told us about the explosions of joy he gets while writing. But this is a time for celebration because we're recording this on a Monday and come Thursday, your new book, which is a brand new series, The Bone Ships, is released, uh, which is wonderful. It's the first in the Tide Child trilogy. Tell us about The Bone Ships, uh, RJ, and it's, it's set at sea, isn't it? It is, and there is a clue in the title as to what these ships <laughs> are made of. Um, I don't know if anybody's worked that out. Um, they're, they're, they're basically, I, I wanted, I, I love Patrick O'Brien, who did the, the film Master and Commander is based on his books, and um, yes, Hornblower and stuff like that, and, and I wanted to do a fantasy version of it. And, um, and I, you kind of... When you, when you start a fantasy version, you, you think, what what obstacle can I put in the way that will force me to think of something different? Uh, and I thought, well, what if there was no wood? Um, how, how do you go about building ships when <laughs> when there's there's no wood? And, and the sensible answer is you don't because it becomes impossible. But um, that, there's also a sort of Neolithic people. There's a whole history of using bones for tools. Uh, and I thought of that. And then sailors used to do scrimshaw on bones and, and carve bones. And I thought, so ships of bone there's there's a kind of logic in a way yeah. there and then then because the ships are big um you need something that that has massive bones which which led me on to i say dragons for fantasy reasons because dra- dragons are, <laughs> are an easy thing to understand but I, uh, and, and that's what I call them in the book. But I think they're probably closer to Japanese kaiju in that they're absolutely massive and oh. probably not even aware oh. people are there. They're just doing their thing. Um, and that, that was that was the setup. I, I I told my agent 
our agent, because we, we share the wonderful Ed, Ed Wilson, who, who no doubt will be listening. Bless, yeah, bless, bless his, his cotton. <laughs> With his yeah, his, his terrible trousers. Um, <laughs> um, he, he said, I'm categorically not to call it Hornblower versus Godzilla because that sounds silly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sold. Thank yeah, you. Sold, I, I thought Ed. that. But, but obviously, I'm not calling it that. So it's kind of... Um, it, it, it's the journey of a man from from zero to hero. Really, he starts off as as nothing, and this this other ship captain turns up. They call them shipwives in the book, and um, and she shows him how to do it in a very traditional naval kind of story, really, except with dragons and magic. Not even that much magic. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Now you set you're setting this book at sea. Now you've obviously you know you said you love Hornblower, you love Patrick O'Brien. Do you have sea legs? Do you get out? On the ocean waves, often I've been on a ferry. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love the sea. Um, uh, my dad has brilliant sea legs. He sailed all around Europe on tall ships and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah, really? And so I, I've picked, I think that's where it comes from because I've heard him talk about it. But I, I've kind of I've done little trips on on ships in choppy seas and I. I'm not sure I'm built for the sea, if I'm honest. <laughs> and I definitely know that my young son isn't built for the sea because he went green. Um, but I do kind of think maybe I should just take a short trip on a on a big sailing ship. But it's very hard to find one that will just let you pop onto it for a bit. So if somebody's listening and, and yes. you have a tall ship and you want to watch me throw up for an hour, um, by all means get in touch and we'll, we'll do that for comedy reasons. Um, well, the trouble is you, you probably can get on one, but then they'll insist on you joining them on some journey to the South Pole or something because they're always looking for volunteers. But uh, it, it will require you give up nine months of your yeah. life. To and you have to be crew. You have to be prepared to, to climb up yeah. the, the, the rigging and stuff like that. And I, I, it's less about being worried about being sick because I've got Crohn's disease, so throwing up, that's that, I'm practically professional at it. Um <laughs> but but climbing the the mast of a tall ship it fills the whole idea fills me with terror. So I'd kind of I'd kind of want want mm. to do a very leisurely version. Maybe be the captain because because then you just have to sit at the back and, and tell people what to do. And I reckon I could do that <laughs> that way. Turn left and then all those other ship like words that they use. <laughs> yeah. Left. <laughs> do you mean port? Yeah, yeah no, no, that one. Whichever one. <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is we got here we got here a brand new series which is always very exciting but i guess that's a moment where you it can be a bit terrifying can't it starting a new series or, or do you find that exciting utterly terrifying okay. exciting up until the point you kind of realize it's going to come out and then it's, the whole right. writing of it was brilliant and i loved it and it's what i wanted to do um and then we, we got to the sort of point of having done the copy edit, which was a marathon hard task because it it's very voicey. People use that word with my writing. It's very voicey in that I don't particularly obey the rules of grammar. I want it to sound how I want it to sound. Um, and copy editors do not like that. That's not that's not their thing. They want it to sound right. Um, uh, of course... I, I know what's right, copy editor. Um, no, that's not true. My copy editor's called Hugh, and he's lovely and long-suffering, and he must pull his hair out every time he gets a book from me. Um, <laughs> but, 
Well, we spoke to we spoke to Ben Aronovich about this because he he says you know when particularly with characters and dialogue, he and, and if he's writing in a, a certain point of view, he writes in the vernacular, which isn't correct, but it's in his style. It gives, like you say, it gives it yeah. a voice, and that's a constant struggle, yeah, isn't it? It, it is cause, but it, it's really good. The, re- the reason I like my copy editor is, is he puts everything absolutely right, and then I I have to think about whether I'm doing it as a conscious decision for it to sound that way or or am i just just like not not actually trying because i didn't go to school and i don't know enough about english to do it right um like this the thing he, he pulled me up on uh, and you kind of think about it is he says sometimes characters say a e y and sometimes they say i and there's no there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for that what you should decide. Right, right. But there actually is in the in the book people who are from the land say I and people who are from the ship say A and it's kind of a very subtle distinction that's there and, and it's just constantly making you think is the copy edit and it gives you such a headache because I'm not used to thinking or doing work. Yeah. It's not not why we know why I do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, anyway, you get to that point and it's all done and it's finished and it goes in and that's it. You can't touch it anymore. And then I kind of thought, I, I, I've written three books that were. I love this. I really love the assassin books. I love the characters, but they were they were quite recognisable fantasy. Does that make sense? They were, they were in a mm-hmm. sort of yes, sort of medievalish world. Everyone understood that. And rather than doing something safe, I, I've done something completely different. Um, and also something that I suddenly thought in my head, this this is quite niche and really I have written it just for me. Because you have that weird thing as a writer, don't you, where you really only, all right, I'm incredibly selfish. I'm only writing to please myself. But at the same time, yes. you do want everyone to like it. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kind of reached that point where I thought, oh, God, I've written, I've written this and no one might like it, even if I do. But it, it touch wood, and there's a lot of wood in my lovely new desk. Um, people do see do seem to be liking it so far from the the, the reviews. So, um, it, yeah, it was a, it was an Amazon pick for September, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Good surprise. Very good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's always nice. I mean, there is a push and pull, isn't there, between. What you want to do, because when we last spoke, you, you you spoke about how writing makes you happy. There's explosions yeah. of joy. And that's such a wonderful thing to hear. And it's so important for a writer to retain that love of what they do. Albeit, you know, the, you know, the copy edit stage can be difficult. But even there, there's a kind of problem, problem solving that is immensely satisfying. But then you've got those commercial considerations as well. Does that do you ever find that happiness ever clashes with the the, the commercial considerations of, of a publisher? Were you ever did anyone ever take you to one side and say, Okay, this is a bit different, RJ, but you know, maybe set it in a traditional, more realistic fantasy world. Was that ever a, no, an issue? No, I mean if if anything Jenny, my editor, she was, she was just like, well, go for it. We we trust you. Do um, do it. The only stipulation she made was I wasn't allowed cannons. That that was it. So quite fancy cannons. And she said that cannons were a bit sort of moving towards um, flintlock fantasy. And she would rather not. But I I didn't really mind that. I was was quite cool with that. That's that's because it pushes you to think of something different and some way of doing it. And and we ended up with these, coming up with these massive crossbows. And um, (laughs) as well as firing big bolts, they fire these like stone 
shaped bolts that have that are shaped like manta rays um because there's a wow yeah, there's, a, there's a thing there's a, a i'm trying not to give too much away but there, there's something in, in these there's, there's a kind of magician that can control the wind and i liked the idea of them launching these bolts and then that magician can use the wind to sort of guide them in on their target which was quite quite a fun fun thing oh, but that is so much better than cannons you know that just that one note from jenny sort of transformed it does, yeah, it, and, and it, it goes to creating the world and, and I, I like i like that with jenny that she she pushes me she can she doesn't so far what i've written hasn't changed a massive amount for each book but what what does change is is always very perceptive and and, and she's brilliant at what she does i mean I'm terrified of the first time I have to make massive changes and she has all this technical language that I just don't understand. And I was like, oh, and I'm panicking. But she's brilliant. She'll help me. That's that's what your editor's there for. Absolutely. You mentioned flintlock fantasy. Is that uh, is that an actual subgenre? Is that something that people talk about? In, uh, yeah, that- yeah. Once you get um, gunpowder involved, it becomes a, a slightly different thing as, as far as, as I'm aware. So you, you kind of... The audience changes slightly, and and but I I don't care about those things. I want to write what I want to write. Orbit have have ideas that, that they want me to stay in, and 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 they seem to know what they're doing. So I'm happy to yeah. go with it. I mean, I guess she's steering you away from something that could be considered very very niche to something that will have a much broader appeal. Is 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 that what you think? I imagine so, but I, I mean, I I don't really. I, I like to. I always think with me that I'm kind of I'm going I'm barreling along a very wide road, and and I'm quite happy to move quite a long way to either side of this road, and, and unless I meet the edges of it, it, it's all just a bit of a challenge and something to have a go at. Um, but it, if if like she'd said, oh, can we make the two main characters manly men who do manly things? then I'd probably have been bored at that point and said no yes. and refused to right. change. But she never would because that, that's kind of not her interest. But I, I'm really easy with, with changes and stuff and, until I'm not, which I think is, is a good <laughs> way to make. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, uh, again, going back to that idea of writing for joy uh, and you've given advice to writers in the past which has simply been don't quit. Um, but they're there is always a bit of a fear there, isn't there, that the next thing you write, uh, you know, might not have the acceptance of stuff that you've written before or you might get rejected or you might, you know. Do you have any sort of coping mechanisms for, for working with that fear that I think every writer has, that, that what you're writing might feel, you know, oh, God, is this going to be any good? Do you, do, you ever, do, you have, do you have any kind of mechanisms for coping with that? No, not really. I just, I just panic like everybody else does. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I kind of, I, I do have those moments of complete sort of, oh, this is, this is all terrible. I've done the wrong thing. And I had it when I was writing the second Bone Ships book about halfway through. I, I was thinking, I've made a terrible, I've written a thing no one's going to read. Um, it's, but, but again, you, you go back to like, uh, the, the people who are there to support you, which, which, Ed, my, our agent, um, despite his terrible trouser choices, he's very good at that. <laughs> um, it's really, really, listeners, you should 
Google dog trousers. Actually, they're not so bad. It's the mustard trousers that really yeah. bother me. Yeah. He wore them yeah. to my house on purpose because he knew how upset I was by them. And he didn't fit with any of the decor or anything. It was it was terrible. He's lucky my wife didn't send him out. Um, but but, but um, Ed was there going, no, no, you're wrong. It's good. Um, and Jenny was there going, no, no, you're you're wrong. It's good. And you can't you can't doubt that much, especially. When you have people like that, because it, it's not just just you that's putting it on the line; it's their reputation as well. They're, they they actively will not let you put out rubbish. Mm. If, if if I've written something terrible, but I still had that kind of, I, I, and I, I thought I'd made a terrible mistake with the second book. I thought it was all wrong, but um, now I've finished it, and, and I have a few people who read for me, and they've come back with it. They all seem to think it, it's stronger. So basically. I just need to shut up because I don't know. I'm too close to it to make those decisions. My general strategy is to to pretend it doesn't exist and barrel on in the hope it'll be all right. And I don't think there's much else I can do. No, but as I was going to say, it's reassuring to hear that you still get that. I think there's um, certainly when writers are starting out, and this, these fears hit everyone. Absolutely. I don't care who you are, what kind of writer you are. You will get those self-doubting moments while you're writing. And I think you're right. The, the best thing is just to barrel on, you know, get to the end and then worry about it for, for the next draft. Is that uh, generally how you work? Yeah, because you can always fix it later. You know, you, you can write, write terrible things. And often I, I find when I'm writing places where I think I've made terrible mistakes or... I hear people talking about writing something and, oh, I wrote myself into a corner and things like that. And I often find that if you just kind of relax and go, well, let's see what happens, that they can be the most interesting things. Like in in, in the final Wounded Kingdom book, I, I wrote a sentence. I've told the story a few times, so if you've heard me on any of the podcasts, you've probably heard this. You can just skip forward five minutes. Um, <laughs> I wrote a sentence which, which broke all the rules of the previous books. Because I, I, I don't plan. So I sat there and I sat there looking at this sentence thinking, that, that's not good. I should delete that. Um, I really should delete that because I've just made everything really hard for me. And what am I thinking? And then I went away and I came back and thought, no, I'm not going to. It's a challenge. And it ended up the whole plot revolved around this this one thing I'd not expected. And, and it made it a better book because I was pushing myself harder. So I... I I always sort of looking for something that that challenges me because I, ne- I never, I'm quite a lazy person really, so <laughs> I, I feel like I always need pushed a bit to to do a bit more than I than I would do. So right. and I always I write quite quickly and I, and I always think well what maybe if I rather than spending a year maybe if I spent two years on a book I could write something really good because you never feel like you've got you never feel like you've got it right do you it's 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 that no. that thing and i never have not and i think that's that's quite important when you're just starting out writing that you don't that feeling that you've not got it right that's 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 correct not yeah. not correct that you haven't got it right it, it's correct that you should want to do better because it's always there pushing yeah. you harder yeah i think if you ever get to a point where you think well i know how to do this now is the day to give up frankly um i think it's uh, it's uh, there is a point, certainly when I get first feedback on a book, 
and you see you've not only made the same old mistakes, but all sorts of new mistakes as well. Yeah. And yeah. you kind of think, oh, surely I know how to do this by now. But, but, there is a, but there is a kind of reassurance because once you've been through the process of an edit and a copy edit and getting reader feedback and all that kind of stuff, you, it is all part and parcel of, of completing the novel, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I, can, I always used to pick up a, a novel and read it and think, my God, how... How do they do this? How do they, they make it so good? And the, the, the reason is because there's a, there's a whole lot of people out there making sure it is good and, and they, they push yeah. us and they, they mold us and they nudge us. Um, if, if you were given my first draft of a book, you definitely would not want to read it. My, my beta readers are, are saints because they read, and my, and Jenny as well, they read very early versions where half of it is typo. A good, good, good proportion of it, and <laughs> and it's not like we're all my beta. They've got the second version of it, and a thing happens in it. Um, and, and every single one of them came back and said, "You know that thing that happens that's quite important." And I, yes, yes, it's a really good scene, isn't it? And I, yes, it is a really good scene. But why does nobody ever mention it again? And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that might be a mistake." So I, I'm Jenny is going to say exactly the same thing. I know, but that that's that is. No one, no one is perfect. We're all far, far from perfect. But no, and I, th- I think the problem is often when you're looking at your first draft, you're you're then comparing it probably to the last thing you read, which is a you know a copy edited, finished, properly produced you know work that has been thoroughly rewritten, 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 and you're comparing it to your first draft, and uh, you know you can you can feel a bit oh my god, you know about that, can't you? I think I think really, really I, I try and ban those thoughts of who will read this and will people enjoy it from my head while I'm writing a thing uh, and just concentrate on doing stuff that I enjoy and and I was talking um, with some I can't it was about criticism and and um a, a few people have read the the burn ships and they said that there is a part in it where where it takes a bit to get going. At the first time, I, I thought I felt like apologising and saying, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry," but but I'm actually not sorry because it's deliberate and, and it, it's absolutely valid to say that about the book because it does and it's very deliberate and it's my choice, so it's it's okay to think it should have speeded up a bit if that's your thing, but but the book wouldn't work if it did, and I, I yes. kind of I'm very sure of that, um, and it, it's not really, does it? does it slow down a bit it's is the payoff of that worth it at the end and and i'm yes yeah i'm absolutely sure it is because because without it kind of they come back to land and that's when it slows down a bit because that's it's it's pretentious literary device actually um (laughs) that's not their place they're 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 people of the sea so they're kind of they're stuck so the text is a bit stuck um but you learn all the things you need to do for for when they the action starts later on for it to just zap along. And I had, I had writing this book the first ever time where, where like when I, when I wrote Age of Assassins, I've always said I finished it and I thought, yeah, this is the one, this, this, this will sell. Um, and it was a really weird feeling. Um, but when I wrote the burn ships, there's an action sequence in it, which is um, three ships against three ships. Uh, and I finished that and I thought, I think that might be quite good. And then when I edited it, I was reading that bit and I found that I was holding my breath. And wow. I, thought, I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that's good. That, that, that's, that's probably as good as anything I've done now. 
Maybe I should wow. stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then Robin Hood, who is the Queen of Fantasy, called, called the book brilliant. So obviously I am going to stop now. That's it. Yes. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm finished now. Oh, but they're getting, yeah. oh, they're getting two more books. That's not happening. Oh, I'm finished. <laughs> now this needs to spur you on to greater things. I just want to go back to something you said about um, payoff, because this is, this is something that's, that's very important. This idea that you do set something off, that pays off later on. Obviously, when you're doing first drafts, you're not necessarily conscious of that. But once you have an idea of that, like you said, when Jenny said, you know, you set something up here, but it doesn't pay off later on. Mm. When you're redrafting, when you're working on second draft, do you, do you use that as a kind of destination, a kind of vector point that you, you, you steer the writing towards? That you, that you said, you had this bit where they go on land, but because of that, something pays off much stronger later on. Are you very conscious of the payoff when you're writing? No, I'm not conscious of anything when I'm writing. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know the, I, I know the end of the book. Well, it was a bit different for the burn ships because I, I had to do like a five-page um, synopsis for all because they they bought it sight unseen that there's um have you spoken to, on your podcast about the way you you pitch for a second book to people we we are going to now rj uh, we let, are going uh, to now let's let's, <laughs> let's do a quick masterclass, mark from, from yeah, someone, yeah, yeah 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 from someone who did it entirely the wrong way which um is <laughs> is exactly what you need um the 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 general thing for your second book, as I'm aware from other writers, is you write maybe the first three or four chapters, or maybe sometimes the whole book, and then you take it back to to your publisher. Um, but um, we actually pitched the Bone Ships before my second book came out, and Ed right. Ed said they like you; it's doing quite well. Let's see if we can do it on just a synopsis of that. Right. So so I had to write a synopsis for. Um, the first book and then something for the second two, um, which really was a work of fiction because those two, <laughs> the second two, there's nothing like it. But um, um, I suppose everyone doing this will at some point have tried to write a synopsis and they will know that it, it is the most awful, awful thing. It, it's it's like, it's basically write the most boring version of your book. And, and I didn't, it, I kind of wrote it as a, a prose poem where it it dripped in and out of synopsis into poetry and 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 bits of text and things that had just occurred to me at that point and uh, Ed said, "Well, let's let's just go with it." And, and then I also had some pictures from Tom Parker, um, who did the he did pictures. Anyone who follows me will have seen his pictures; they're beautiful, they're um, fantastic. Yeah, and I talked to him about about the bone ships and some of the things in it. And he, he does some sketches and we, we put those in with it as well. And, and I think the kind of, it was sold on feel rather than mm. sold on, on what it was actually like. So, so that was, that was absolutely not how you do it, but I like everything. You say. I can't, I, the thing is you say that, but I think, I think it is. I think what you're doing there, the, the thing they say in marketing is to sell the sizzle. And certainly, certainly in my experience in screenwriting, you're constantly pitching stuff that has not been written. But what you're pitching is, as you say, the feel of it, the tone of it, the, the, the thrill that you feel uh, when you're writing it that you want the reader to get when, when they're reading it. And and having Tom's illustrations, which, listeners, I'll put a thing in the show notes, they, they are astonishing, just amazing, um, will help as well. So I think 
anything. Like I say, you're in a, a position where you're pitching a second. So you've proven yourself as a writer. You've got sales. You've got great reviews. Uh, so it, as far as the publisher are concerned, and I've seen this having worked for a publisher come in where uh, an established author comes in and pitches a second series. And it is, you know, a, a page or one page or a paragraph for, for books in a series where I think the publisher knows yeah, look, this is just a, an indication of what it might be like. But all we want at the moment is a feel of, you know, the pace of it, the tone of it. And the question that they're asking while they're reading it is, can we sell this? Yeah. And clearly they thought that they could. And I think what you did actually was well, obviously worked because they picked it up. They picked up the trilogy, you know, and uh, and they're selling it. And you, you're now getting quotes from... Robin Hobb, well, Robin calling Hobb. it brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robin every, Hobb. Yeah. Every time we talk about it now, I'm going to go, yeah, I pitched it very much like a screenplay. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a very conscious decision. Yeah, but it, it's been, it has been mostly very joyous writing it because it, it, it's, it's really, someone in a review nailed it in, in, in hindsight. They said that this feels like RJ's been, let off the leash and he's allowed his imagination to to run riot where maybe it was um kept down a little bit for the wounded kingdom books um and in hindsight i, I can because I, I before they were sold i wrote a very very imaginative science fiction book that didn't sell um and, and i do wonder if that kind of was in the back of my mind somewhere thinking right we'll tone it all down a bit let's do something more recognizable um and and now we're sort of at a stage where I can just go. Oh, I'm doing whatever I want now, actually. And but maybe not. I don't. I, I'm not very logical. I don't tend to think about things. I tend to just do them. <laughs> well, it's it's clearly working for you, RJ. And when you are let off the leash, you get quotes from Robin Hobb, John Gwynn, Adrian Tchaikovsky, Tasha Suri, Evan Winter, Peter McLean. All of them saying how amazing the Bone Ships is. So, congratulations on that. I hope publication day is an absolute smash for you, and I can't wait to read what you come up with next. So, RJ, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Yes, it is no problem. It has been an absolute joy, as always, speaking to you, Mark. It's just a pity we didn't get to drag my editor along this time. We'll get her eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on on Nazia, my publicist, who who swears she will never do a podcast, but I reckon. well, I. I, I, listeners, I started with Nazia. I desperately want Nazia on the show because she's amazing. She then said, oh, no, Jenny will do this kind of stuff. And then eventually said, uh, just talk to RJ. So you, you have Nazia to blame for all of this, RJ. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and thank, thank you for putting up with my wittering all the people listening. And, and, and if you're writing, just enjoy it. Because that, that, that's, that's how you get there in the end, I think. Wonderful stuff. No, definitely. Thanks, RJ. Speak to you again soon. See you later, Mark. Bye-bye. He is such a lovely chap, isn't he? He's I mean, just lovely. I could talk to him all day. Do you know? I think uh, the thing I love about RJ is that you can just hear in his voice just how much passion he mm. has about writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much fun he's having doing it, mm. and you hear is a guy who's living the dream because not only is he doing what he loves, but he's making a successful living out of it, and. I just I, and you can just hear it. You can just hear it from his voice. And I think we should all emanate to have that joy mm. that RJ has when he talks about writing. So so much to cover as well. One of the one of the things that um, really jumped out, and then we, again we see this theme coming up again and again, Mark, don't we? And it's so lovely to hear it. And we thank every massively successful author for reminding us of this. Is that even when you're doing 
really well and you're selling loads of books and you're getting your i mean rj i just saw had a double page spread in sci-fi mag mm. was it mm-hmm. sci-fi magazine Sci- sci-fi Huge now picture. yeah, yeah sci-fi yeah, yeah. now yeah. you know very 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 successful and yet he still has those moments of self-doubt yeah i don't think there's any author out there who doesn't and um I think if if you don't have self-doubt, I don't think you can call yourself an author because you're constantly right. second-guessing yourself. And it's um, he said something, you know, I feel like I've written something that no one is going to read. Now, this is someone who does all the festivals, is, you know, fantastic reviews. We all, everyone in the fantasy community loves RJ as well. So you will hit that that point when you're writing something, when it's hard and it's difficult, you think, oh, why do I bother? Where is this going? What's, you know... And if you're a first-time author and you hit that wall, you might not know that's perfectly normal and give up. Yeah, and I think I think you have to, like RJ said, you just get on with it. You just plow through it. You know, you just keep keep going because finishing something is so important. Just getting to the end of it is so important. And I know we've said this a million times before, but it, it bears repeating again. You get to the end of something and and only then can you step back at it and, and figure out what it actually is. Not when you're in the middle of the wood, you know, it's uh, only when you get through to the other side. Yeah. Self-doubt is the killer of dreams. Mm. It really is. And I think every single person needs to take a step back and realize that one, the minute you hit self-doubt is a good milestone because it means you've actually pushed yourself to doubt something. Like if you're not doing it, if you're not writing anything, there's nothing to doubt. You can't doubt a blank page. So enjoy and celebrate the fact that you're reaching that milestone. That It's a rite of passage for every writer. And when you get to it, you have to celebrate it. But here's the key thing. It's what you do at that point that counts. Mm. It's probably the most important thing in your entire writing journey, especially like you say, Mark, if you're a first time author, because I know that most people who haven't finished a book haven't finished a book because they've not had the confidence in their writing. That self-doubt has overwhelmed them. That inner voice has got so loud to tell them, ah, you're rubbish, you're never going to make it, what's the point? And then you go and read your favourite book and yes. you think, yeah, this is actually this is actually how to do it. And, you know, something you, you asked, Mark, that was brilliant in the interview, was you said to RJ, you know, it's not about, it's when you start your new book, it's, it's pants, it's rubbish, really. The first draft is, is, is always nowhere near the final version of someone else's book, of yeah. someone else's book, or in, in the discussion you had with RJ, the book he's just published prior to that. Comparing those things side by side is probably one of the most challenging things because you've got the best, the very best of what you've just done, which has been edited, read by beta readers, reread by you too many times. <laughs> and then you're starting that first, that crap first draft, which, you know, and then some people have said, well, you know, I can, I can polish off a brilliant first draft, but let's be honest. Most people's first drafts are, are, are not where they want to be. No. Put it that no. way. There's room for improvement, which is always good. Yeah. And and that was a big that was a big aha moment for me. I thought, yeah, of course, because you, you you always you're always comparing side by side with the brilliant version and then the worst of the new version. Yeah. <laughs> the best of the old version and the worst of the new version side by side. Yeah. And that's where you have to push through and just keep writing. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a fantasy author and you pick up RJ's new book and you're flicking through it, Robin Hobbs called it brilliant. Nicholas Eames called it, you know, sen- sensational. And you're going, 
well, my book's not as good as this. Well, this is, as RJ said, it's been through his editor, Jenny Hill, who's, you know, a top editor at Orbit, who I'm desperate to get on the show, but she won't come on. Um, and, um, we shall, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. But, you know, just keep, keep knocking the door you, until it falls over. You, you can't <laughs> underestimate the amount of work that, and again, Ed, his agent, who's also my agent, I am, I am in rewrite. Well, not hell. I'm quite. Yeah, you're covered, it. but my office. There's stuff all over the floor, all all notes and books and research and stuff on the board over there, because of one email Ed sent me um, with some notes. Which fantastic feedback from Ed. Really, really good feedback. And it's that classic thing. Ed's come back and he's made suggestions, and they've triggered other solutions. You know, and so I'm I'm like, this isn't going to be easy. This is not going to be easy what he's asked me to do. And I'm not going to rush into it. It's not an easy fix, but I'm it's taken me about a week to figure out how to do it as well. But I'm off. And you know, I th- I did have a week of thinking, oh, how am I going to do this? I don't know how to do this. How do I hmm. how do I do this thing? And you know, you just keep noodling. You just keep noodling stuff down, putting stuff on boards, little post-it notes, little emails to myself. And weirdly enough, it was only when I was I'd put off writing. I'd put off writing anything seriously until this morning today. Funny enough, I was, I was supposed to be writing Monday. Monday was going to be right. No more pissing about. Get on with it Monday. And then Queeve invited me to the awards. So I'm like, oh, great. That's my excuse to, uh, to watch a new Breaking Bad film and then do nothing for the rest of the day. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but today, today was the day where I sat down, bum in the chair, and I was like, oh, yes, done it. Fixed it. Brilliant. So I'm really excited about my writing day tomorrow because I've got, you know, a, a, a hook on where I'm going with this. Talking of bums in chairs, <laughs> we should really, for those that have stuck with us through this podcast thick and thin, first off, we want to just tell you folks that we have got something really, really big planned for 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And we're going to tease you because we're, we're kind of evil like that, aren't we, Mark? But over the next, all I'm going to say is keep listening for the next few weeks because we're going to be making an announcement towards the end of November for 2020, which every single writer on this planet bar none <laughs> will want to hear. Am I building up a bit too much, Mark? Probably. Maybe a yeah. bit. But Maybe yeah, a little bit. Okay. But for us, it's big. Every single writer <laughs> on earth who wants to write and make 2020 their most successful writing year, you want to Subscribe to the Bestseller Experiment, get on our mailing list, come on our Facebook group, wherever it's, so that you hear this announcement first. Because we've been working on this behind the scenes for quite a while. Mm. And I, for one, am so excited about it. Mm. And I'm desperate to tell you all about it, but I can't because we've got experiments going on in the background as we speak. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just going to leave it at that. Moving swiftly on, bum in the chair. Has anyone ever thought of inventing a writer's chair with clamps? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the only reason I ask this is I got this thing the other day, which is awesome. It's a it's a um, it's a plastic container with a lid and a timer on it, and you put your kids' phones in there, and you set a timer, and it locks it. <laughs> you and you can set it for anywhere Damn. between oh, one minute, one minute, or nine hundred ninety nine days. <laughs> And I thought, how brilliant if we had that as a writing chair where you say, right, I have to write for half an hour. And you sit in the chair and you, you press half an hour on the chair and these clamps come in mm. and hold you in place and you've just got to write. What do you think? Well, I, I tell you what, I mean, I've, I never thought I'd do this, but I have downloaded that Freedom app, the one that turns, I haven't used it yet, 
Oh, but it's yeah, the, the one that turns off yeah, all the distractions. Sarah Pimbra swears by it. And, um, yeah, I, I do find myself, especially because I'm not just because social media, because, you know, the BXP group and our Twitter and Instagram and everything, I am, mm-hmm. I'm on that all day. I'm checking. That's my excuse anyway. I'm checking <laughs> it all day. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's very tempting to just glance. And that one glance takes you out of it. Anyway, anyway, we've covered this before. I want to talk about RJ talked about something where he, he said he loves writing himself into a corner. And mm. this is something that, um, Pixar talk about a lot as well. But I saw one of the greatest examples of this this week. Have you seen the Breaking Bad film El Camino? I We had a special <laughs> Friday evening. It was like we've been looking forward for it for months. We had it all set up. And yes, we sat and watched it on Friday night. I don't know what you thought, but I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought, and as an example of that thing, of not just writing yourself into a corner, which RJ was talking about, but that, that thing of that principle of never making life easy for your protagonist. Now, even if you've never seen Breaking Bad before, this works kind of as a, there's a little, um, brings you up to speed at the beginning, but you can almost watch this as a standalone, standalone. movie. Um, massive spoilers if you go back and watch Breaking Bad, but you know, uh, that principle of never making life easy for your protagonist, it's a masterclass because at the beginning, he just needs to do one thing. And then to do that one thing, he needs to do another thing. You think, oh, that's going to be, oh, no. Oh, no. And then to do that, he needs to do this other thing. Oh, and it's constantly testing him, yeah. testing him, testing him, making life hard for him. And I was hooked. I could not take my eyes off it. I just thought as a masterclass in 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 torturing a character and testing them <laughs> and bringing out the best. And by the end, and I don't want to spoil anything, but that character has earned what they get. And, and earning an ending is such a difficult, I mean, we, we could do a whole deep dive on this, just earning an ending, a happy ending mm. or, or a, you know, a satisfying ending. You really need to earn that. And boy, Vince Gilligan really pulled it out that bag this time. Uh, it was, it was brilliant. I, I really want to get Vince on this show. You know, we've had Brian Cranston on. I mean, <laughs> we should be able to get Vince on, shouldn't we? But, uh, because he is a masterclass, uh, 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 it is a masterclass in how to write. He started life writing the uh, show for the X Files, which is mm-hmm. how him and Brian Cranston actually first got to know each other, and then obviously Breaking Bad, and all kinds of other things that he's done. But it kind of, you know what, Mark? It kind of reminded me, without wanting to blow our own trumpet, um, it kind of reminded me of our protagonist Joe in our story, Back to Reality, because man, we took her through the ringer, and she just, you know. And and it was that sense that that we had so much fun thinking of all the incredibly challenging <laughs> situations we could put her in. I mean, by chapter five, you're just thinking, oh my gosh, how on earth is she going to get out of this? Mm. And and I, I've got to say, on the one level, I loved it. Like you say, you could watch it as a standalone. On the other level, I think the challenge with doing that kind of big um, Breaking Bad movie is you're you're there's too much expectation from diehard broken band fans of having watched the entire i think it was i can't remember if it was five or six seasons mm. of breaking bad and then having t- basically two hours to try and land this incredible piece of of cinematography and um i think there's you know there's been a mixed reactions to it which is really interesting reading the reviews because i think you know if people had any expectation that vince was going to be able to create the equivalent of what he did in six episodes. It's not going to happen. It was a different format. It was a movie. I've got to say though, I felt the whole time whilst I was watching it, 
I thought, and this isn't a this isn't a spoiler. I thought what was actually happening is they were building this up, and the end of the movie was going to be an announcement that this was actually the pilot for season seven, <laughs> and it was just a mass. It was the world's greatest ruse to suddenly announce there's a new season of Breaking Bad, and I was actually a bit disappointed. I was like, no, there's no oh, because I, I was expecting you know people to show up again and all this stuff, and. Um, but yeah, standing back, it was a brilliant, brilliant piece of film. A very entertaining. Any um, anything like that got me inspired to write. And this again sort of takes us back to RJ. Whenever someone comes to your writing with expectation, that's so tough. You know, I, I'm a big Star hard. Wars fan, and everyone's expected the new trilogy to have the same impact on them in their 30s or 40s that it, that Star Wars had with them when they were five or six years old. <laughs> There's no possible way. It could do that. No way on God's green earth. So I, yeah. I'm i very much, I watch things on their own terms. And the first time I watch something, I just go with the flow. I enjoy it for what it is. The second time I watch something, I tend to watch it with a critical eye. I find if I watch it with a critical eye first time round, you don't enjoy anything. And I know people, exactly. I've, I've got friends like that oh. on Twitter and on Facebook. It's like, you are just, you know, just, enjoy it then yes. i go back with a critical light and then i'll take it apart and then i i'm I, you know I, i'll find some things stand up to scrutiny some things don't and that's fine and we move on but the first time i watch something i try and watch it as a fan and just let it wash over me um and then i'll go back and go oh yeah that could have been better this could have been better you know that's a skill mark because you know i think as people spend each day writing and they're in that writing kind of room in their head almost it's a skill to be able to detach yourself for it because when you're so ingrained in writing and thinking about structure and plot, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, but how many times you sit and watch a movie and you go, oh, inciting instant. But you suddenly get pulled out of, you get pulled out. It's like someone turning on the lights in the cinema in some ways mm-hmm. and you get pulled out of the story. So the good test of any great piece of film, TV or book is something that keeps you so engrossed that you even forget thinking about how how brilliant the structure is. Yeah, you can't see the joins. I mean, uh, that a great film I watched the other night, Midnight Run, with Robert De Niro, oh. Charles Grodin. Such a five star, doesn't set a foot wrong kind of move. But and I that's I have that on my iPad all the time because if I'm ever on a stuck on a train or something, I just want to watch a good movie. That's my go to movie. Okay. Um, out of sight as well. I watched that recently with uh, George Clooney and um, J Lo, uh, Jennifer Lopez. She's fantastic in there. Both perfect. Midnight Run is that 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 is the book. That's the one with Robert De Niro, isn't yeah, it? Where yeah, he gets yeah, handcuffed. Yeah. I that is one of my favorite it's, movies. It's a perfect of all time. film. It's a perfect film. And I I just let that watch. But every now and then I'll watch it with. It's, I had this one. I did the John York course. You know, when we had to sit and watch films with a notepad and make notes and stuff yeah, like that. We had to watch Jaws, didn't we? Yeah, Jaws and, and Alien. Alien and Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise, such a good film. And you know, you have to sit there with the pad and you make notes. And it's um, it's a great exercise to do. But then watch them again, just as a fan, and just let you know. I think if you can switch that part of your mind on and off, I think it'll make you a much happier writer. Because I I know people who can't. They're just hypercritical all the time. Um, I, you know, so that's this could be a new this could be a new a new uh, part of the show. It's the uh, weekly BXP procrastination. <laughs> Last week it was El Camino. This week, if you haven't watched Midnight Run, watch Midnight. But actually, it's all research. I love that mm-hmm. when we went on a writing retreat once. There was one of the ladies in the in the group, bless her, 
And by day four, she hadn't started writing. <laughs> and I said to her, what are you up to now? I said, what are you watching? There was some like, she goes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm researching fight scenes. <laughs> she was like watching a Netflix series. And I thought, oh, this is just the procrastination with a capital P. I love it. Um, but yeah, if you, if you need a bit of, if, I would say it's not procrastination. I say reward yourself. Yeah. Right, get your words in and then reward yourself with a movie that you want to watch. But do it that way around. Don't do the movie first and then realise you've not got any time left to write. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it's about I'm a cart before horse. I'm afraid that's what I did with El Camino. Uh, but I've, I've worked in it today. So, you know. It's... Good man. Good man. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Brilliant. And I think just to sum up, just to go back to RJ's interview as well, I think really one of the most beautiful summing up that I can remember in most recent interviews. It's just simply what he said at the end, which is just to enjoy writing. Yeah. I think we can sometimes get a little bit too caught up in all of the ins and outs, structures, you know, marketing. Will it ever happen? Is it any good? Am I any good? That we actually forget the reason why we all started doing this. And that is just because of the joy of writing, the love of writing. Yeah. So if you're finding that love writing is no longer joyful for you, then I'm going to encourage you to kind of think about why you started and go back to the roots and maybe just let go of some of the shackles that you might be kind of, you know, tying to yourself. Just just get back to having that passion that we heard in RJ's voice, that joy of writing. And I think, you know what, when you write with, when you write with that sense of joy, I'm sure that makes your story better. Mm. Even if you're writing a horror, I reckon if you put in the passion and you're writing with this passion and love for what you're doing, you're always going to get a stronger book out than if you're like struggling with it, like a, you know, trying to wrestle a pig in mud. Well, like we said, you will have those wrestle pig. I've, I had one of those wrestle pig, but unless, unless you wrestle the pig, you won't get any bacon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. There you go. <laughs> but it's about, it's about coming out of that wrestling match with the pig. <laughs> And thinking, you know what? Where are we going with this? I'm better for it. <laughs> better for it. Oh, dear. Oh, okay. So we'll stick with that analogy. For you. That's our analogy for 2020, wrestling pigs. If you're wrestling a pig at the moment, why not join us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us about the pig that you're wrestling? We've just real- I realised what I've just done there, Mark, is we've just opened up a whole new thing for memes online. Can of pigs. Have loads of people sending us pictures of pig wrestling, which probably exists somewhere in the world. I think. Shall we do social media? We shall. Okay. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Um, I got a lovely note from LA Davenport on Twitter. Is at uh, l underscore a underscore Davenport. So feeling podcast guilt today. Have had literally no time to keep up my favourite podcasts, including and especially bestseller experiment for weeks and weeks now. I'm a bad person. I said, well, if we read this out in the podcast, will you catch up then? He said, oh, my God, I didn't realize you resort to those sorts of tactics. Hold on, hold on. So this is what I'm finding, that, you know, people people either binge us or they're, they're, they're still catching. We're putting out too much material, Mr. D. <laughs> we better slow down. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to give people guilt trips for not keeping up. Keeping no, up. You take it at your own pace. Um, we've yeah. got um, some uh, lovely uh, declarations. Now, uh, we've got a lovely email from... Um, Angela Nurse, uh, and she said, I, recently I messaged you regarding mental health, got a lovely reply from Mr. D, which I was genuinely touched by. Um, the, the writing community has really helped me work through my recent bad spell, and I feel, now feel I'm coming out the other side and ready to make a public declaration. And Angela says, I will finish 
the first draft of my work in progress, Jack in a Box, by the end of November. That's about 40,000 words. And with a full-time job, that's a big ask, but I feel up to it. Angela, good luck. That is in the diary. Go for it, Angela. That's fantastic. Thank you for your public declaration. That's awesome. Um, we had an update from Steve Gowland, who was uh, hoping for the end of September, um, but he's moved it to, to this Saturday, 19th of October. So I'm, I've, I've, I've been pestering poor Steve about that. But hang in there, Steve. Keep going, mate. Well, hopefully next week we'll have some good news. We got a really long public declaration from Richie Yanakowicz, who's one of our – he might be our first patron. You know, he, I think he's, he was. He's, an, he's what they call a low employee number. You know, he's been here for a long, long time. So we love Richie. We absolutely love Richie. And I think I finally learned how to pronounce his name properly after three years. Um, Richie says, uh, inspired by Mr. DeVoe's call for experiments, we're struggling to write. I have a confession to make. I've written three books in the past three years. Now, I never knew that, did you? I had. I did know. Okay. Uh, cyberpunk detective thriller, Star Wars Dune inspired. And he says, seat ripoff, space opera. Uh, to be fair, Richie, Star Wars rips off so much from Dune. You are, you're in good company there. And he said, a wannabe grim, dark fantasy semi epic. My odd brain has instilled absolute fear of rejection in me meaning none of these books have been put out for representation or even self-published. Uh, we won't talk about the scores of half-finished outlines or the folders upon folders, unfinished manuscripts that litter, numerous hard drives dotted around my office. Uh, to make matters worse, ever since Camp Nano earlier this year, I've really, really been fighting with myself to get the words down. But in the chair is easy, words on paper, so to speak, not as much. Uh, with all three of my above book experiments, I was trying to find my stride, doing the whole searching for your voice thing except I'm not 100% happy with any of them. I know we're our own worst critics' enemies when it comes to our individual creative endeavours, but my inner critic rejection scaredy pants have extremely loud voices. I'm a big believer in the notion that if something isn't working out for you, you should approach the problem from a different angle. So I'm going to comply. I'm going to try a completely different genre to the ones I've been attempting to write in. I'm going to write a rom-com. This is confession part two. I'm a six foot and change, 17 stone kickboxing rugby fan. Now I've met Richie. He's a man who towers above you. Let me assure you that he's a big fella. Uh, He says, but he absolutely loves Richard Curtis movies. Cried like a baby at four weddings. Yes, me too. Love actually, Notting Hill. Massive fan of Nick Hornby's books, even though he's much more often seen devouring sci-fi and fantasy. He's just finished reading fellow experiment Rhoda Baxter's book, How to Write Romantic Comedy, co-written with Jane Lovering. We did a deep dive on this. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. He said, not only is it solid, entertaining read, it lit a proverbial fire in me. In another life, many moons ago, I was a head chef of a very well-known country house hotel. Oh, the stories I could tell you, so I shall. Write what you know and all that. And to shut up my inner scaredy pants, I'm going to try a pen name. If BXP and the two marks have taught me anything, it's that public declarations work, and you can do no wrong if you're being held accountable for your work. So I, Richie Yanakowicz, do solemnly declare that I shall write a rom-com set in a contemporary country house hotel tentatively titled The Heat before the end of this year, 2019. You may proceed with wishes of good luck. Richie! Good luck, my man. Good luck. That's fantastic. That That's, That is a epic public declaration. It's probably the most epic... <laughs> public declaration we have ever had and i love it it's, well done oh, richie i can't wait uh, it's such i didn't see that coming talk about plot twists i didn't see richie right. turning that round so um and uh a couple of couple of wonderful little notes here now andy chapman who's a patron 
Um, I know Andy, Andy had uh, one of his one pages uh, critiqued in the one page punch ups recently. Uh, it's a fantastic little, um, it, it read like a Stephen King novel. Really, really loved it. Uh, I know Andy's determined to make a big success of his writing career. So we got a message from him. He said, So my mum, Susie Chapman, is officially a best selling author. She has the much coveted orange number one bestseller ribbon in the US Amazon page for her book, How to Have a Midlife Crisis, brackets the American dream, close brackets. It's in the genre, general Western US travel guides. I've been hoping to get one of these ribbons for any of my two current available books for years. And his mum says to him, Andy, I wrote a diary when we were in America. Could you make a cover and do whatever you do to get it published? And then boom, (laughs) (laughs) it's a number one bestseller so she's over the moon at being able to call herself a best-selling author i had a look at this and it's a cracking little book it it's um it's it's about a couple who uh they go to a caravan show they get an rv they go to america and it's it's like it for a lot of people this is a dream it's fulfilling a, it's dream. a dream isn't it i think it's yes. a genius bit of publishing i i know why that's <laughs> gone to number one that is that is there's an audience for that and it's delivering exactly what they want which i i just said so big congrats to susie chapman so um yeah yeah congratulations susie learn from that Andy. unbelievable <laughs> scenes <laughs> how ironic it's keeping up with mums now it's not keeping up with the joneses anymore it's keeping up with your mother exactly that's brilliant though i love i love stories like that i love it and finally uh just we've already mentioned uh rhoda baxter uh she also writes what well, her real name jeevani Chirika. um she's just done a cover reveal uh for her book a convenient marriage uh, which is being published by hero books and we did a deep dive of hero books just a few weeks ago it's absolutely gorgeous cover so big congrats on that Jeeve and um, congrats to everyone who has had an amazing week we've it's just wonderful hearing from everyone who's got in touch and uh, is is making their dreams a reality and just to remind everyone if you want to be part of the community of our kind of most um, I'd say most supportive listeners is probably the best way of putting them but they're also they're a special group of people that have a very similar outlook to life all of striving to be the very best writers they can. But a lot of them are incredibly successful bestsellers already. There's people who've come completely out of left field and become bestsellers as being a part of that group. So if you'd like to be a part of the BXP team, which is the bestseller experiment team, it's a private Facebook group, you simply have to support this podcast. You go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you get access to that amazing supportive group. And Everyone on there is saying it is probably the most inspiring place on the internet for writers. So we thank them for that. But also not only that, you do also get access to incredible amount of other goodies. So pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and check out all of the goodies you can get. And if you've been thinking about doing it for a while, do it now because you just never know, right? You just got to get in there and sign up and we thank everyone who's supporting this podcast, including our sponsors. And of course, RJ for coming on the show a second time and inspiring us with his stories. And I think also Queeve and Ian for inspiring everyone out there to show them what's possible. Um, it's just quite, it's been quite the incredible week. And I think, Mark, this is just a preview for 2020. I think this is only going to go one way. It's getting more exciting, bigger and better. So join us on our continued journey and do not miss next week's episode where we interview the Kindle Amazon Storyteller Award, Ian Sainsbury. 
Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Fantastic. It's going to be amazing. So, folks, join us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, we're also at bestsellerexperiment.com where you can sign up to our mailing list and get all the news first. And if you would like to send us a note, tell us what you're up to, tell us your challenges, send us your public declarations, start thinking about your public you know, your declarations for 2020 now. Now is the time to do it, not New Year's Eve. Now is the time to do it. And if you are thinking about starting NaNoWriMo in November, we wish you luck in your preparations because that's coming up very soon as well. I have a very, very good feeling about 2020. I absolutely do as well. Yeah. I really it's do. It's going to happen. Brilliant stuff. It's going to happen. It is. Have a brilliant writing week, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next Monday. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.